Hi everyone, I'm Abby Berger. Welcome to Let's Rethink This. I'm very excited to be talking with Michelle Schaefer, Regional Vice President of Behavioral Health at SSM Health. Michelle oversees the operations of the entire behavioral health service line at SSM, including inpatient and outpatient care for geriatric, adult, adolescent, and child populations emergency services, telemedicine, and medical stabilization. Today, we're going to be talking about the new service that was introduced in 2020, the SSM Behavioral Health Urgent Care located at DePaul Hospital in St. Louis. The urgent care opened in August of 2020, and it is specifically set up to address mental health and substance use issues in the region. It's the region's first and only urgent care slash walk-in clinic dedicated to mental health. The clinic treats both adults and children in urgent need of care for mental health crisis. This service provides immediate access to behavioral health care without the often long and costly wait of an emergency room visit. So the behavioral health urgent care clinic um, is a -a one-of-a-kind collaboration with multiple community partners, bringing together the clinical expertise of SSM Health's trusted behavioral health team and the comprehensive support of local mental health resources. So, Michelle, welcome and thank you for being on today. Thanks very much, Abby, Um, and I'm just excited to be able to be here and talk with you. Thanks. So, Michelle, before we get into the nitty gritty of the conversation around the mental health urgent care, I want to know a little bit more about you. Where are you from? Have you worked in the mental health space for a long time? How did you get into this business, this new venture with the mental health urgent care? Sure. So, um, I am originally from Indiana. I have been in this community now for about five and a half years. Um, I have spent my entire professional career in uh, behavioral health. Um, So I uh, went to undergrad and graduate school at Indiana University um, and focused on uh, mental health and substance abuse in my graduate education came out um, and was a clinician uh, full-time for a while, uh, working with, um, I've been fortunate enough really to have the gamut of experience. So I've worked with kids uh, all the way up to older adults in just various roles, whether they be outpatient or inpatient um, or employee assistance programs, um, different ways of interacting and providing services for this particular population. Uh, Drawn to this population, really, Abby, for um, kind of as long as I can remember, um, did peer work in in schools, so uh, kids that had special needs. uh, Quite typically, I would be a peer for um, as I was growing up, and then um, going into college, I was really kind of had a dual track in that I was trying to decide between uh, business and or um, going into behavioral health because I came from an entrepreneurial family. So I had a lot of that influence. 
And um, clearly, you know, once I got into the opportunity to focus and study in this area, it definitely uh, won out. And that was my passion. But um, the combination of both sides is really what sort of landed me in the positions that I've been in most recently in my career, overseeing all the services, understanding the business side of healthcare, while being very rooted in advocating for um, this very marginalized population. And having the clinical background is um, an amazing um, kind of bonus because uh, I've done everything that I work with my staff to do. Um, and I'm, uh, I understand the clinical diagnoses. I understand what our patients are suffering from and um, what it takes to treat them. And so I think that really helps me have that perspective and sort of blend both understanding the business side of things, the financial side of things with the root of the care and caring for those who cannot advocate and care for themselves. That's awesome. It's, uh, I, I feel like it's so important to understand the business side of healthcare, um, especially when you're launching new initiatives. And if you, people listening, if you haven't listened to our episode with BHN, um, the Behavioral Health Network, I would encourage you to go ahead and go back and listen to that because they're doing regional work to bring some of these initiatives to the St. Louis metropolitan area. And this urgent care really came out of a lot of work that BHN was doing. Um, So Michelle, I wanted to hear a little bit more from you about the start of, well, I guess we should start with what is the behavioral health urgent care and what types of services are available there? Sure. So our behavioral health urgent care, which is a partnership between SSM and multiple community partners, is set up to be a clinic for patients who have urgent behavioral health needs. They can have already been in treatment, but for whatever reason, treatment isn't working. Uh, Perhaps they have um, not had, you know, they have issues or a crisis that has come up and they don't have access to the care. Uh, We've had some people who've had, you know, uh, providers who have retired. Uh, For any kind of reason, you really name it, we wanted to service that gap. Uh, that exists right now because access to behavioral health services is pretty difficult, not just in our own communities and our own marketplace here in St. Louis, but across the country that we, we are no different than anybody else in terms of the struggle for that. So often what has happened over the course of the last several years is patients have no other opportunity other than to go to emergency rooms to try to seek assistance for these issues. And um, going to an emergency room for these patients just really isn't the best option. Uh, First and foremost, emergency rooms are extremely busy. Um, And they have patients in there with all kinds of needs from, you know, know, broken bones or stitches or motor vehicle accidents or strokes or, you know, heart, you name it. And the ED is a very high energy high stress, high chaotic environment. And so a patient with a behavioral health need 
does not flourish in an emergency room at all. It's, it, it only oftentimes can intensify some of the struggles that they're having. The second part of it is I have immense respect for my emergency medicine colleagues, the nurses, the physicians, they are wonderful people. But behavioral health is not their forte. The emergency medicine is their forte. Um, and they went to school and prepared and trained endlessly to save people's lives and to be able to practice with, uh, emergency medicine. And then you have behavioral health, which while they all have had exposure and training and, and you know pieces of it, it's not what they do every day. So a lot of times we hear consistently that um, you know, staff do not feel the best prepared uh, to be able to effectively help our patients. And so when we looked at that, we wanted to be able to fill a gap. And so that's what the clinic does. It helps, um, it is completely staffed by behavioral health and substance use disorder experts. These are folks who have master's degrees and nurse practitioner degrees, physicians who are all in this field. That's what they do. Um, even our person, our people that help with the registration and answering the phones are trained in behavioral health um, so that they better interact with the patients. It provides a much more calm and nurturing environment for our patients to come in and then be immediately greeted by everybody who understands what they're experiencing, whether it's a substance abuse issue or our mental health issue, it doesn't matter because that's all we do. So um, we do not provide medical care in this urgent care. And so we make sure um, that everybody knows that and we triage every patient that comes in just to make sure that they're medically stable. They don't have to get medical care somewhere. And then we um, sit down and spend time with them and figure out what's going on. So they're triaged initially by a nurse who is a behavioral health nurse, but one that can make sure they're medically stable. Then they meet with a master's prepared therapist who um, spends time with them finding out what it is that's happening currently, what brought them in, what are they worried about, what kind of crisis state are they in, um, what's the history of their treatments, um, and what are their current struggles so that we can figure out how to best meet those needs. If the patient um, needs medication, if the therapist feels like it's beneficial that they need medication, perhaps they've had medication before and they've run out, Perhaps it's been a while since they've seen a provider, they thought they were okay, and then maybe they're not. Um, then we have nurse practitioners and physicians both who round in the urgent care, and we have the ability to have the patient then meet with one of those providers, sit down. Uh, the master's prepared clinician will staff the case with the provider first so that they don't have to repeat everything. The patient doesn't have to repeat everything. And then the provider will sit down and talk to them in terms of medication, help answer questions for them, educate them, and in cases, if it's appropriate, get them started on some meds. From there, then, we have um, community liaison individuals who sit down with them because the thing that's really important to us and the thing that makes us different and the first of its kind is our community partnership, right? We have incredible community partners. Lots of them are community mental health centers and CCBHOs and other nonprofit agencies who um, put a stake in the ground with me to try to do something different and then worked internally to create access and bandwidth so that we could assure the patients that came into their urgent care can immediately go to a wellness path 
and follow up with some outpatient services without a multi-week delay in making sure that that happens. So when we are finished and we've got the patient the information that they need, then we get them set up with the appropriate outpatient services. If the patient is truly in crisis and is not safe, we certainly can facilitate hospitalization. Our hope is by providing the stopgap, however, that we can get to patients and help them before they need hospitalization. It's not that we won't provide it. Sounds a little odd for a hospital administrator to be saying, we wanna get to patients before they need hospitalization, but that's exactly what we want to do because we want to keep patients um, healthy. We wanna keep them out of crisis. We wanna provide a path for wellness and stabilization so they can go back to their life the way they, they want it to be. We'll always be here if that doesn't work. But ultimately, what we want to do is raise the health of those patients and raise the health of the community through uh, having the stopgap service. Yeah, I think that's a, a very, very cool approach. It's um, very much looking at it differently than how it's been established in our communities for some time. So in the past exactly what you were saying. There's emergency services for when people are in crises and there are community health providers that are working more on that long-term support structure, but that gap in between of getting somebody who's on the brink of a crisis linked up with a community partner that can help support them through that and get ongoing support in a timely manner. I think that's the other thing that you touched on um, when you were talking about this is making sure people get access to care when they need it, when and and before it's really a full-blown crisis. So I'm curious, when you were thinking about this program, this urgent care, where did you draw your inspiration? I was doing a little bit of research about similar programs in the United States, and I could really only find a couple of states, California, Massachusetts, um, North Carolina, and Missouri, that have this concept and this approach to delivering mental health care in the U.S. So can you tell us a little bit more about the process of bringing a mental health urgent care to St. Louis or about the um, landscape in the U.S. as it relates to mental health urgent cares? Sure. Uh, so you're right. The, there are not very many of these, um, of anything that's related like this anywhere in the country. And our partnership is the only model of its kind currently in existence. Um, so really it's been three, a little over three years ago now, I was really focused in looking at how we do things differently. Um, we, we have a situation in our community, but we have a situation nationwide and I've, I've got a couple of thought partners nationally, and we've talked about a lot of different things in terms of, um, trialing new things um, in each one of our regions and then kind of spreading it with the hopes, um, really the significant hope of changing community health overall 
helping the federal government understand how to approach something better um, and being the solution drivers instead of folks that kind of uh, react. And so I was working on, on this. Um, how did I enhance throughput for patients that did go to the ED? How did I get to patients to help maybe keep them from going to the emergency room? Um, huge gap in that, in that sort of space. And then um, the Regional Health Commission of St. Louis paneled a very big group of us. Um, there were all kinds of, um, obviously all the major health systems were engaged. Law enforcement was engaged, housing was engaged, the judicial system, the outpatient providers, community mental health centers, CCBHOs, other non-for-profits, because they were looking at an assessment and triage center, much like Kansas City has. And historically, um, I had experience with that type of model and I'd opened several psychiatric emergency rooms, um, which also do a good job and serve a purpose, but I really wanted to get out front um, and get, uh, get to patients before the emergency room, which was one of the things the Assessment Triage Center in Kansas City is trying to do. And so I put my urgent care work kind of on hold a little bit to participate in this commission. We were together about 10 months. We looked at other assessment and triage centers around the country, really looked at where we were with the community. Ultimately, the recommendations of the entire group were that that particular model would not service the community the way that we needed to service it. Um, we uh, are not just urban focused in our need in this community. We certainly have an urban need, but we are very spread out in our needs. So all of the surrounding counties also have the needs. Whereas Kansas City, if you look at their data, a lot of their need, both behavioral health and substance abuse is urban based. So then it came to, well, how do you build you know, just one site that's gonna service everything? And then um, how do you connect uh, pieces and housing, and there were multiple things there that just the difference in the landscape of the cities, we felt like it worked there, but probably wouldn't work here. So the commission wrapped up, but we really, um, we knew what was not going to work for the city um, and for, for, again, the region coming out of that, but we hadn't landed on sort of where we were going to go. And so literally at the last meeting, um, I approached Wendy Orson, who's the uh, CEO of VHM. And I said, okay, so I put my plans on hold for a while, um, but I have this vision and I wanna do an urgent care, but I wanna do it differently, not just something that's, you know, just SSM, and um, I want to fill a space and really try to answer this need. And, you know, my vision is to get partners engaged and to build a model and prove the concept and then ultimately be able to replicate it across our region uh, so that we can really service the community better. And I'd love it if I could sit down and talk to you about it and we could you know, we could do a little bit of visioning and then um, see what you think think. And fortunately for me, Wendy said, I'm in. And um, we did just that. And then from there, we reached out to multiple partners because I, I felt fairly certain that our leadership at SSM would support me in doing this, right? It made sense. It made sense to build this space. It makes sense to decant an ED. 
It makes sense to get the right care to the right people at the right time. Um, it would, you know, it would help multiple parts of the emergency room. But what I did not want to do was I didn't want to build just kind of a separate revolving door. So meeting in the crisis was one thing, but getting the wellness path was the second, in my mind, really key piece that, that made this a, uh, from a good solution to a really great solution for the community. And so um, fortunately, I'm super passionate about this and, and advocating for behavioral health and substance abuse disorder. So fortunately, I was able to connect with a lot of the leadership of the community mental health centers and um, CCBHOs and, um, and others. And um, I have the deepest gratitude for, um, you know, Market Independence Center and Teresa at Hopewell and Barbie at BJC Behavioral Health and, and you know, uh, Corey at Preferred. I mean, there were, there were a lot of people who, um, with no guarantee of anything, um, including where the funding was going to come from, committed to putting a stake in the ground for me and making it happen. I tease them now because I tell them, you didn't really think I was going to get the funding for this. You didn't really think I was going to pull it off, which is why you said you'd do it with me. And so we laugh about that. But the, the reality of it was I was able to um, build the Performa and get support from, from SSM. And we collectively um, put together multiple different operational committees and different things things to, to build it and to air and that connectivity to that wellness. Um, and it has just grown and grown. We've had lots of um, even additional community providers who've come in and said, no, we really love that you're doing that. So how can we help? Which is amazing, right? Because it is collectively a group of people coming together and saying, we can use dollars better together. Um, and instead of competing with each other or building the same programs or doing that only serve just a subset of people, let's look at a transformational model that, that changes the landscape of this care for the entire community and then prove it here with the mindset that, that we will replicate it. Like I said, in multiple places, certainly around our community, but I'm on a quest now, I, I, I meet with a lot of people from across the country to say, no, do this. I will get, and the other thing that's unique about this is I will share everything. I'm sharing performance, I'm sharing architectural drawings and how we built it and how we did it and staffing and all the, nothing is proprietary here. I just ask people to look at it and figure out how to do it, right? Um, and we've had insurance companies that have been really interested because obviously it makes sense for them. The state has been willing to step up and be a partner and look at different ways of uh, accessing funding dollars that they never even thought of before. A lot of people's first reaction is, wait, you're doing what? But then when they get beyond that, they're like, okay, this is really cool. And you guys are all coming together to meet the needs of this community. Um, so I'm, I'm passionate about what we're, work, we're doing, but I'm super passionate about the strength of all of my colleagues and them willing to take this step too to really make this model happen. Yeah, you really had to build kind of that support and um, encouragement to bring this solution to the community. And 
one of the things that you talked about is how much a mental health urgent care makes sense. I mean, we've seen it with physical urgent care centers over probably the last 10 or so years, the, the rapid growth of those types of facilities rather than going to an ED. But as you were saying, the EDs are still swarmed. They're still overcrowded. They're still, you know, dealing with issues and the patient um, volume that takes a long time to get through. And so on the physical urgent care side, you think about now, if you have a cold or if you need any antibiotic for strep throat or something, you go to an urgent care, you wait less than an hour, you can get that care and, and whatever you need to feel better. And what you're presenting to the community is really the same type of solution, but just for a mental health concern, which makes it makes sense. I mean, it's something that I, I can't believe it hasn't been done before. And you know, you had such good vision for it and initiative to make it happen. And I think it's that's so cool. And the other thing I was thinking when you were talking is about the design. So you mentioned a little bit earlier on how EDs are typically chaotic. There's a lot of people, there's fast moving, and that's that's how they're supposed to be. You know, there's traumas coming in, there's all these things happening, but that's not the best environment for somebody in a mental health crisis. So can you talk a little bit about the physical design of the mental health urgent care and then also how and who you asked for feedback on that environment were patients involved who was involved in making that decision and, and designing that space? Sure. So, um, yeah, so our space is designed. Patients come in. We have a little bit of a waiting area. They come through a door, and then it's a big open space. We have a nurse's station there, but the nurse's station is like two half walls, right? And then, so it's very open. The colors are very calming. And then we just have rooms that sort of go in a um, kind of a horseshoe that's around that back area. And in the room, we have a um, comfortable recliner type chair. There's, an, you know, there's another sort of uh, medical office type chair, family or support person come back. Uh, but it's a very calming space, a very quiet space, even when we get busy. We have two larger rooms that are in the sort of the two back corners so that if we have a patient that's waiting a little longer, if we have a patient that has um, uh, brought their children in, let's say, because they didn't have care for their kids, but yet they needed help, um, we can accommodate, um, you know, with a little more space so that people don't feel just squeezed in. Um, everything in the behavioral health unit is psych safe, meaning there aren't things there that patients can hurt themselves on, on because they are there in crisis. So we want to be careful, but we also wanted to, to be kind and calming and very conducive to um, just allowing them to open up and breathe a little bit and understand that they are safe and we are going to be there to you know, help protect them and, and help them with whatever their issues are. When we did this, um, we obviously worked with an architect group 
but we um, did a process called a 2P process. And in that process, we literally went through um, sort of multiple ways and workflows and what it, you know, what we thought it would look like. Once we got to what we felt like was the final design um, phase, then we built it life-size out of cardboard, literally built the entire clinic out of cardboard, um, and uh, including computers and, um, you know, keypads and placement and, and all of those things. And we had it built um, in, inside um, uh, the, the kind of banquet center that we used. And we brought our partners um, through it. We brought patients through it. We brought community members through it. We, we reached out to anybody and everybody. We brought police through it. We brought ambulance um, uh, uh, districts through it. And um, that was a wonderful thing because we uh, actually redesigned the nurse's station because we have a separate entrance that allows for ambulance and police officers to come through with patients and the way we initially had our nurses station built, you could not get a gurney turned. We would have never known that on paper, right? We would have never known it without building it. And then we took all of that feedback from, from everybody, from patients to say, hey, I think you ought to put this here, design this here, that might feel a little bit better. Um, and uh, so after we got all of the input from the community, then we came back and uh, made made a few tweaks, made a few changes, um, and utilized that feedback. And um, the best thing in the world was when we did absolutely do our tours and do our, our grand opening, everybody who came in that had been, first of all, involved in not only the design and the build of Cardboard City, but then um, the follow-up and review of it, walked in and said, oh my gosh, it really looks like what we designed. It really looks in real life exactly like what we built, which was an amazing experience, right? To then actually bring it to life and have, have all of those things um, really operate the way that we had hoped that they would to benefit um, our communities and to benefit the patients. And I'm happy to say there's not a single thing that doesn't work like it should. And there isn't a single thing that we've had to change. Um, and that's been really, really awesome. That is so cool. And I love that cardboard city. I think that's so, it's so smart. It's a good approach to really make people understand because I know not everybody's a visual person. And even if you are a visual person, just like you said, maybe the gurney isn't going to fit within that space. And you wouldn't know that by eyeballing it. Uh, you would only know it by building it out and seeing it. So that's so cool. Um, my other question is something you mentioned earlier too was about the funding. So can you tell us a little bit about how this urgent care is funded and then what does it mean for patients? So if somebody's coming in and they don't have insurance or maybe they do have insurance, what's the situation? Are they paying a copay? Are they uh, paying for services? You know, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. Um, so the funding is an ever-evolving thing, right? Um, SSM is helping fund it, but some of the community partners are helping fund as well through, for instance, they have um, employees, therapists, and others that work on site and help us staff it, right? 
Um, like I said, we're working with the state to assure um, quickly the sort of the example is a patient comes in and they might be a patient of Hopewell's, for example, but Hopewell doesn't have anybody there. BJC Behavioral Health has a person there. And so the, first of all, all of my colleagues agreed that that didn't matter to them, that they were willing to have their employees see and service the community. And so I want to highlight that, right? Because that's a big stance. They were all in it to say, let's not get confined by these just lines and borders. Let's service, um, let's service our people. And so then what we said when we went back to the state is, okay, normally Hopewell would be able to be reimbursed um, for that visit through funding that they get, but BJC saw them. So how do we make sure that that exchange happens? that both then our community partners agreed to and the state agreed to allowing that happen to happen. The third piece of it was um, that, you know, there, there are things by statute and everything else that say, well, these services have to happen at these sites, but yet the urgent care isn't one of those sites. So the state is working on helping us change that so that we can use this as a designated site to help out. So for sustainability, right? Other, other um, folks have utilized grants and applied for grants to help uh, fund positions to be in the urgent care so that they can service. And then SSM com uh, commits quite a bit to ongoing operating of the urgent care as well and has been wonderful. Um, the insurance folks, right? have come to the table and said, okay, well, we're really interested in this model because you're all coming together trying to figure it out. So let's look at how we can reimburse you differently. And again, sometimes there isn't a code for what we're doing here. So we are working in a non-traditional way, trying to create new paths of reimbursement, but everybody understands that it makes sense. It's it hasn't been quick. We're still working on a lot of that, right? Um, and working it through, but we're taking it step by step and we're getting there and we have everybody committed to be at the table to, and committed to figuring out how to make it happen. In some cases with the state and working with the Department of Mental Health, they're trying to figure out through their computer system how to do things different, how to let people see um, different views of where the patient should go than they see now. And that's never been done before, um, but they're committed to helping us. In terms of our patients coming in, we tell our patients to come in regardless of their ability to pay. If you have insurance, um, then yes, we are paneled with lots of insurances. We are not receiving difficulty in getting paneled with lots of insurances because they believe in this and they think it's a better option. It's also a less expensive option for them than the emergency room is. So. We certainly can do that. We do not collect copays up front. Um, so, you know, if there is um, uh, insurance coverage, then that bill will happen after the fact. And um, uh, we work with the insurance to make that happen. If we have people that come in that are um, under-resourced or uninsured, um, we take them on back, we triage them, we work them, we work together with community agencies that can help continue to service them. 
Um, and we also have, again, that community navigator that helps with social determinants of health issues. So what we do know for sure is if somebody doesn't know where they're going to sleep or where their next meal comes from or how they're going to get there, then they can't follow up with their mental health, in which case they can't change their current uh, station and they can't reach stability. So we've worked with community partners to try to take care of all of that. And we don't want payment in by any stretch of the imagination to be a bar barrier here. Um, so people are not going to be asked, well, how much money can you pay before you get seen? We don't ask that question. We ask, how are you? Um, welcome. Here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to triage you real quick and make sure that you're stable medically. And then we're going to get somebody to help you. And I think that's so important to not have that additional barrier, you know, mental health care and behavioral health care is so hard to access for a lot of people and and removing that makes it easier to get those services to the people that need it. And I think, you know, it, it's so nice to hear how collaborative the St. Louis behavioral health providers have been in this initiative and in the growth of this urgent care. And I think St. Louis when it comes to physical healthcare is also very interconnected. And if you're in St. Louis, um, we've seen over the last year and a half, the collaboration coming out of the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force. There's a lot of collaboration happening within the hospital systems here in our region. And it sounds like it's both on the physical um, health side and the mental health side. And I'm curious, as you're talking to other people throughout the United States who are looking at models um, and looking at replicating the behavioral health urgent care, are you encouraging that same type of collaboration? And are people doing that outside of St. Louis? Um, so absolutely, I'm encouraging that level of collaboration. Um, the biggest message that um, I deliver in all of this um, and then live is that we are all better together. We, we cannot meet all the needs of everybody who needs help individually and in silos. We cannot be effective. We have now proven that. Um, if you take just our marketplace, we have lots of big health systems here, right? And lots of people are invested in um, behavioral health and yet we still have horrendous access issues and um, we don't have enough, don't have enough, don't have enough to meet the needs, right? So we've proven that doing it individually doesn't work um, nearly as effectively as coming together does. Um, and again, you know, the, the perf so people are like, well, what do you mean? How, well, we pulled this off and nobody had a dime, right? We just had everybody coming in and saying, we're going to try to we're going to try to find the phones. We're going to reallocate them. We're going to do the, the differently, and then we'll work long term on how to gather the reimbursement and use the data to show that this works. Um, and so that's the message that I deliver to everybody else, and they're typically quite initially surprised, but then super grateful and very refreshed when I say, "I'll give you everything. You don't have to pay money for an architect. You don't have to. I'll show you exactly how to do it. You can come see it. You can." Uh, because that's the whole thing. I'm going to remove not only as many barriers to this kind of health care here in this community, 
but across the country as well. And then I say, you just need somebody to believe, somebody who believes and somebody who will talk loudly and not take no for an answer and be a passionate advocate um, because you will see, and most people in, um, most people in this field are passionate advocates, I would say. So you get a bunch of us in the room and tell us we can't do something and we're going to figure out how to try to do it for the betterment of our population because if we don't advocate for them, no one will. It's true. And I, I agree with you. I think there's so many passionate people in the behavioral health space in the region and outside of the region that are working toward change on a systemic level and bringing better resources to the people that need it where they are. And I'm, I'm curious, how are patients reacting to this new urgent care? You know, what, what do your numbers look like? How many people are using it? Um, do you still see a large number of people utilizing the ED instead of the mental health urgent care? What does that look like? Yeah, so it's, um, it's a little tough right now. And I say it's a little tough right now because we have a significant influx of of patients that need behavioral health needs because of the pandemic, right? So overarchingly, we are all still very busy in emergency rooms um, because we are at a larger capacity in all of our modes of care, whether it's outpatient or inpatient, than, than historically we have been, or if you trended over time, behavioral health needs kind of trend in the calendar year. Um, and right now we have lots of folks who are suffering from substance use disorder, uh, suicidal attempts and behaviors, depression, anxiety, um, social isolation issues, um, and then exacerbation of previous behavioral health disorders because they couldn't get the care that they needed, right? So sort of sorting out the impact of the pandemic and the success of the urgent care right now is a bit hard, right? When we get back to quote unquote traditional, I hate to use the word normal because in what is normal in our world, <laughs> you know, um, right. normal, normal, normal means nothing. <laughs> right. It doesn't really exist. Um, but to be able to see, have we pulled patients out of the emergency room? We most assuredly had. There's no question about that, right? Um, we are seeing um, a steady, steady increase in the uh, um, urgent care, which we're excited about. Um, 14, 15, 16, 18 patients a day. We would like to see 18, 20, 22 patients a day on a regular basis. So we are consistently taking every avenue to still get the word out and and help folks understand that we are here. But it certainly has picked up quite a bit. Um, And, you know, we hope that it continues to pick up uh, from from every aspect. Again, it, it doesn't matter to us whether you have resources or not. We just want to be able to fill this gap and meet this need. We are open seven days a week, um, and we're open right now. We're open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., although we're looking at changing our hours because we look at that data all the time, right? When are our patients coming in? When are they going into the ED? How do we get, you know, a better match and then make sure? So we're probably going to be open a little later at night, um, because we're, we see more of an influx of our patients in the late afternoon, early evening into there. 
so that we can give them another opportunity. Uh, we don't have patients coming in on we on the weekends as much as we anticipated they would. So we're really trying to get the word out. Hey, we're here. There is absolutely no reason for you to not come in um, and get help. And if it didn't work because of your schedule or something else, um, we're open on a Saturday and a Sunday. You know, um, so we we want to be here and we want to service you. The feedback that we've gotten from the patients has been amazing. Um, you know, some days it's, you know, really busy. It's tough. We've got people that are working quickly from one patient to the next to the next. But the staff will tell you that they go home every day knowing what a difference they made in people's lives that day. And our, the patients are so incredibly grateful. Um, and, you know, they say, we are so glad you're here. We're so glad you did this. You have no idea what this means to me or my family or... Um, so the stories that we get are so fulfilling every single day because we know we're making a difference. And, um, you know, we're just really hopeful, like I said, that we get the model up and going and pretty busy. And then, and then the vision is amongst not just SSM and our, the community partners here, but amongst other community partners and other health systems too, where does the next one in this community go? Does it go to South County? You know, does it go in the city region? Um, we're consistently having uh, conversations because I'm very tightly connected to my colleagues in the other health systems as well. Um, and we talk about that all the time. And, um, you know, they're, they're interested obviously in the success of this and then what they can do to be contributors. So I think once you get this rolling, um, then people really start to say, yeah, there's a different way to do it. And you're right, through the pandemic and the regional health task force, you know, we started working together and collaborating and having conversations that are vastly different than, than we had before. Um, and it's all about the betterment of the patients that live in our community where we're all serving. Right. Well, I think it's really cool. I hope that this podcast um, allows more people to learn about the service and utilize the service. And before we end this episode, I want to ask you one last question. And it's a question that I've asked all of the other guests that I've interviewed so far. And it's, it's so interesting to hear different people's answers. But the question is, if you could debunk one myth about mental illness, what would it be? That it's those people, that it's, that it's those people. Those people are my people. Those people are your sisters, your brothers, your mothers, your friends. Uh, mental health is, is all of us, right? It, it happens to all of us. It doesn't happen to those people. It isn't somebody who, who chose poorly in their life and then ended up where they were. People don't have um, solid lives um, with stability and then wake up one day and say, gosh, I wonder what it's like to throw all of that away and go down this path. Uh, it isn't those people. It is us. It is all of us. We are they. Um, and um, the more that we talk about it, the more that we acknowledge it, the more that we understand that it is a health issue the same as our physical health issues. And the more that then we work together collaboratively to address it, 
the healthier we all will be and the better community that we will have, which ultimately enriches everybody. I couldn't agree more. And, and you're absolutely right. It is everyone. Mental health is for everyone. So I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk to me today about this, um, about this urgent care. I think you're an innovator. You're a change maker. This is a very cool program. It's very needed. It's very necessary. And I hope that it continues to grow and that we do see expansion throughout the U.S. and see more opportunities for this type of service to be available to the people that need it. So I I want you to um, make sure to tell people how to get to the mental health urgent care. How can people come to it? Where is it? Uh, what's the number to call? What's your website? Yeah. So, um, you can get to the urgent care by simply coming to DePaul hospital, which is in Bridgeton. Um, DePaul hospital has a drive that, that, that circles around the entire campus and our urgent care is between parking, uh, parking lot seven and parking lot eight. You can't miss it. There's signage all over that's as tall as me um, that, uh, and it lights up at night. So people, when it's dark outside, we turn the lights on so everybody can see that we're there. Um, and so again, you can come in, you don't have to have an appointment. So you can just come and walk in um, and you can also call the urgent care. So uh, the phone number is area code 314-344-7262. So um, walk, uh, drive, take a bus, have somebody bring you. Um, again, the parking lots have not have big signs that have numbers. So it's between seven and eight. Um, you can call and say you're coming if you want, but you don't even have to call. You just have to come and um, walk in and we will be happy to take care of you. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And we are going to put this information in our show notes. So we'll have a link to um, more information about the mental health urgent care. We will have the phone number in there um, so that anybody listening can go to our show notes and learn more. If you guys want, you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is at let's rethink this pod. That's where we're going to be putting um, information about upcoming episodes, about our guests. You can interact with us on that. Tell us who you want us to interview and uh, just see what's going on. So if you guys are struggling with a mental illness yourself or a substance use disorder, please visit our website, www.independentcenter.org for more information on local and national resources. And we'll talk with you next week. Mm-hmm.